0: It's good to be in the house of God this morning, amen? Amen. Amen. I'm so excited to be with y'all this morning. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be able to break break the word with y'all. I think God's got some great things in store, amen? Amen. 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 I really like that song. That song is such such a great intro into what we're talking about today. It has one of my favorite sayings, I'll praise when I feel it. And I'll praise when I don't. Because there's something powerful about being able to praise regardless of the highs or the lows that we're in. I remember a story that my pastor back at home told us once of how he was sitting in a worship service uh, with one of his best friends. And there was a lot of worship going on and they, they didn't really feel the Spirit of God moving in that that service at that point in time. But my pastor was still still jumping around, praising, giving it everything he got. And my friend, or my pastor's best friend looked at him and said, well, Dave, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't really feel anything right now. And our pastor turned back to him and said, Frank, neither do I. Well, then why are you praising like that? Well, because I still believe it. So there's something about whenever, regardless of the highs or the lows that we're in, there's something about just getting into the presence of God. Something about because the thing is, we won't always feel it, but because the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And these things are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But whenever we go against Whatever we feel, our heart may not always be in it, but the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So there's a power, even whenever we don't feel it, but we still believe it. I'm going to praise the Lord, regardless of my circumstance. If you'll go with me to the Word, we're going to read out of Romans chapter 8. And if you want to get ahead, we'll also go to Romans 13. Romans 13. But Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Romans 13, 14 says, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We know that the desires of the flesh lead to sin and sin leads to death. But I want to talk to you this morning for just a little bit about God desires life, overcoming the flesh. If you'll go with me to prayer, Lord, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. I pray that you would work in this service this morning. I pray that you would work on me. Anoint me, Lord, to speak your words and nothing else. Anoint us to receive this word with all humbleness and soft-heartedness. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Have your will in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's nothing like being able to get into the presence of God. There's nothing like being able to walk after Jesus, to follow him, and to really realize that, you know what, hey, I've made progress from where I was a year ago. If we're, we, we really love to make progress in, uh, through the process and the things that we're doing. Whether it be in working out, there's just something satisfying about a, a year down the line you can look back and say, man, I'm able to do so much more than I was beforehand and I didn't even realize I was making this much progress. There's something, something special about being able to look back at and say, man, I've really made progress following jesus means acting in accordance with what he taught it's not just believing in him but we're growing after him we are sometimes we spend we can spend a lot of time struggling with the same sin over and over going back to the same thing over and over you you ever realize there are some things that just seem particularly hard to let go of it seems like we just go back to the same things over and over Sometimes we spend so much time asking God for deliverance from sin, but then going right back to it. We earnestly pray, but then beyond that, we don't do anything to combat the desire to sin. In walking after Jesus, we, ha- we are to pray and also put it into practice. We're called to grow in our walk with God. One person made the analogy to me once of the, of the hermit crab. The hermit crab, it, uh, as, it, as it grows up, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to find a, a little space, a little shell that it can grow into. And as it starts to grow into the shell, it eventually is going to find that the shell that it's growing into is becoming a little bit too small. It can't quite fit into that shell anymore some point that crab is going to have to make the decision to leave the shell and find a new place of growth. So it will have to go and it's going to go find another shell. And the thing is, if the crab does not become bold enough to leave that place where it was comfortable all of its life up until that point, then it will die. As it grows, the shell that's constricting it Its growth is going to conflict with what it's comfortable with. And so as a result, that crab will be crushed by its own shell. So the crab must leave in in order to grow. It must make the decision to go out beyond what it's comfortable with and find a new shell. So that way it can grow. This is a pattern that we see all across nature, that if you are not growing, then you're dying. So there's a, there, we are called to walk after Jesus, we're also called to grow in the Spirit. In Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrews were criticized because they were continually stuck on the things of, on the, on the basic things. They were as babes who were only stuck with the milk, but they couldn't move on to the meat of the Spirit because they weren't growing. They couldn't handle it. And so, but it's because one of our callings is to grow. And in the, in the process, as we walk with God, one of the things that we're called to do is to crucify our flesh with the affections and lusts. We're called to walk, uh, we're called to walk with Jesus, and he who is Christ has crucified the flesh. Following Jesus means, act, means acting in accordance with what he taught, not just believing in what he taught. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's no temptation that can come against you that God cannot take care of. There's no addiction that can come against you that you cannot break out of. There's no chains that can bind you that cannot be loosed. It, with man, it may seem impossible, but with God, all things are possible. There's a certain power whenever we're willing to walk with God and pursue the things of God and not just, and not just be willing to sit there in our comfort zone and stagnate. Because if we're not growing then we're dying. Romans 12, 21 says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 John 5 says, for who, who whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We're given the power to overcome, but don't you know that to overcome implies that there was a struggle? It implies that there was previous conflict there in order to overcome something, there had to have been a struggle. We have to be willing to take the fight to sin in prayer and in practice. In the last days of Judah, King Josiah, he discovered the book of the law, and he realized that for the past generations, Judah was in sin. They were so far from God, and that they'd been continually building up these idols in their, in their kingdom and continually worshiping these false gods. They'd been just breaking the law really at every point. And so whenever King Josiah realized that they had sinned, he, he, the first thing that he did is he went to God for help. The first thing he did was ask, to, ask for those to go inquire of the Lord to see what is it that we can do? What is it that we can do to fix the situation that we're in, because God is angry against us, and we need to get back to the one who gives us our authority, the one who gives us our power. They realized that they were, had sinned, and so he went to God for help. First thing that he does is he go and he goes to prayer, but then after he asked God for help, King Josiah then turned and turned to the people, and changed their worship. He changed their worship of these, all these false gods and all these false idols to the one true God. And the first, and the first thing he does after, after this prayer is he begins to tear down idols. He begins to make changes in the kingdom. He says, we can't stay the same. I've, I've, I've oriented myself towards God. We fought in prayer, but now it's time to act on it. Uh, we've got to do something about the situation that we're in so he starts to, so he starts to act the, for, the story is told in first 2nd uh, Kings 22 and 23 the in most of 2nd Kings 23 the whole chapter is just about how king Josiah would go out and he would tear down idols he tore he he tore down idols he would he slew the high priests of these false gods he would he turned the worship of the people back towards one, one God he commanded one of the biggest Passovers in the history of Israel or Judah, it all to honor God, all to show God that, you know, that we're, we're, we've repented of our sin, we're sorry, and we're making a decision to change. We're deciding that we're going to take a step forward. And it was as God saw these things, as God saw the condition of King Josiah's heart, that's whenever the promised destruction that was going to come on judah god said i'm going to delay it and you will never see it because of your heart because you were willing to act and not and not just say my name only we've got to be willing to go into the fight to go into the fight in prayer and in practice we can be so stuck sometimes, again, struggling with the same sin, but what do we do after the prayer's over? We might find it easy after the prayer, okay, I feel, uh, we, we feel good now, and I'm, I'm able to kind of walk a little bit, I'm able to do, I'm, I'm able to walk, and, and, and not, that sin's not really much of a temptation to me right now, but what happens after, after you get a little bit away from prayer? Then we got to go right back to prayer for the same thing over and over. But King Josiah was of the mindset that we've got, we, we've got to tear down some idols. We've got to, take that, we've got to remove some things in, in, our, in our kingdom. We've got to remove some things in our life that are getting in the way of my walk with God. If it's in the way, then it's got to go. If it's, a, if it's too much of a temptation to me, then it's got to go. Paul, Paul made the analogy in 1 Corinthians 10 of those who were, of the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness, who they had been given the promises of God. They had, they had this promise of the promised land, but they couldn't, they, that generation was never got to attain it because they weren't willing to grow with God. They weren't real, willing to grow with him. And instead... They, start, they Instead, they would tempt God at every point. They would struggle with the same thing over and over again. They could see God work. They could see God do these wonderful miracles. They could see that God was on their side and fighting for them. But every time push came to shove, it was always right back to the same thing. Oh, well, now we're hungry, and we don't have any food. And now we're thirsty, and we don't have any water. Is God's just going to leave us here to die again. We're just going to be stuck in the wilderness. It would have been better to be back in slavery and in bondage than to have come and followed after God. It would have been better to stay over there because at least I was comfortable. At least I was safe over there. But the thing is, where we're comfortable is not where we're safe. If we're not growing, then we're dying. If we're not growing, then all that's leading us to is a final death. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all our fathers under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. They all had access to the truth. It's not like they were, they were spiritually hungry. They, they, they chose to be spiritually desolate whenever there was a feast right in front of them. But with many, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In, in our walk with God, part of our walk with God is that we are trying to figure out how can i get to the point of where it's not my will but your will be done how can i get to the point of it doesn't matter whether i'm on an emotional high and i'm really feeling it right now or i'm on an emotional low and i'm beginning to and now i'm beginning to doubt the promises of god how can we get to the point where the emotion doesn't have the rule over us where our heart doesn't have the rule over us or our flesh, but instead the Spirit does. And so, in 1 Corinthians 10, we're given some examples. We're given some examples of things that we ought not to lust after, things that the children of Israel in the wilderness struggled with. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7, Paul continues. He says, neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, or in the Hebrew that Paul's quoting from, and in the Greek he's writing in, that word to play literally means to to make fun of or to make sport of, to mock. It's interesting that that's where Paul chose to stop the quote, because you'd think it would get a little bit more clear if you continue the quote that what they did after they rose up to they they were had their fill of drinking and eating and they got up to go play they got up they got up to go make sport well the thing that they did in the very next verse God tells Moses you need to get down from here because they're starting to build idols they're building a golden they're building a golden calf down there and so you need to get down there and you need to stop it Throughout Second Kings, King Josiah tore down idols, and he destroyed graven images. He slew the priests of false gods within the kingdom. Are we willing to tear down things in our lives that have become idols? Idols can be anything from something very small to something very great. The small idols will steal our time. Small idols, things, perhaps I know, perhaps in my own life, there was a point where I would watch YouTube probably close to six to eight hours a day. It was pretty bad. It was a lot of time lost. As of uh, as of 2018, people our age they spend over two hours on social media alone. That's not counting, and that's not counting any other any other apps or anything. And we can probably guess that with the pandemic, those averages have gone up a lot more. But we have to get to the point of, okay, I spend a lot of time in this, and I don't really have a walk with God. I really don't know that I could hear God's voice if he were speaking to me. I don't know that I could discern his voice from my own thoughts. I don't know if I could discern his voice from, uh, from a false teacher. I don't know that if push came to shove, that I would be able to tell somebody what the gospel of Christ really is. But I, here I am spending all this time doing these other things, these small little pleasures that just—they provide instant gratification, right? TikTok's a big one, right? Instagram reels, guilty. They steal, they steal a bunch of time, right? You can sit down just to look at uh, just to look at one reel or one meme, and then suddenly you can look back and it, look back and realize, oh, I lost too much time there. If it starts to get in the way of your walk with God, then maybe it's time to remove the idols. Maybe it's time to delete the app. Maybe it's time to cut off a relationship with that person if it's starting to get in the way of your walk with God. Because these small idols, they'll steal your time. These small idols, it'll look like I've got this grand ambition, this grand goal of getting into my, of getting into the suddenlies of experiencing this great walk with God, this relationship with God. It is one of my goals. But you only ever reach those big goals by the small things that you do throughout the day. Paul said it's a daily struggle. I die daily. I crucify the flesh daily. We're we're in a fight where the flesh is constantly fighting against us. Our flesh is constantly warring with the Spirit. And if we continue to appease the things of the flesh, we will never get into the things of the spirit. We can't serve two masters. We'll either start to love one and hate the other or love the one and hate the other. But we've got to get to the point of, okay, you know what? My right hand offends me. I've got to cut it off. Jesus said it's better to enter into heaven maimed than hell whole. We've got to be willing to remove those things. If my, 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 my eye offends me, I'm going to pluck it out. It, I, these things can't be allowed to get in the way of my relationship with God. At the end of the day, those things will only lead to death if we're not willing to, sit, if we're not willing to take the practical step. We pray about it. We pray that, oh, God, deliver me from this. Well, and then we have to take action on it. When God gave the promise, gave the promise to Israel of the promised land, they, had, they went out and they began to fight. They began to struggle. They began, it was, but God promised that they would overcome if they were willing to fight, if they were willing to stand on the promise of God. The promise is not that you will be instantly delivered of all your diseases and afflictions. The promise is not that you're going to have instant gratification and, man, oh, wow, that was easy. This is a cakewalk. The promise was that if you'll fight, you'll overcome. The promise was that if you'll continue to get into a relationship with God, you're going to overcome. There's victory after the struggle. You overcome after the struggle. But we've got to get to the point where we're willing to walk with God. We're willing to say it doesn't matter what's going on on the right hand or the left hand. It doesn't matter. I'm going to continue to follow after the will of God. I'm going to continue to follow what God is trying to set in place for me. And if these other things get in the way I've got to distance myself from them. I've got to put it out of my sight. It can't be allowed to get in the way of my relationship with God. God has life. But these things, even though it's great in the moment, it only leads to death. And we can even see this principle in the basic things of life. Whether it's in, whether it's in things like working out or trying to build up your finances or in going to school things don't just instantly click into place like that it's a day, it's a it's a it's a daily thing if you're working out you've got to be consistent you can't just you can't just go to the gym once a, once a month maybe zero if you if you don't really feel like it that day and expect results you've got to be in there consistently you've got to be working at it you've got to be you you've got you'll you'll see that you're progressing whenever you get consistent Whenever you start putting into practice not just the goal on a piece of paper, but you start, put, you start putting some, some standards in place. We start putting some things in place that say, okay, I'm not going there because, my, because over here is where my focus is at. So if I put a wall up here, I'll know that I can't go that way and I'm just going to keep walking towards God but we've got to be willing to put some, put some boundaries in place. Not everyone might have the same boundaries because we'll all struggle with different things, but we ought to be willing to put boundaries in place. We ought to be willing to put boundaries in place that are going to protect me in my walk with God because there's nothing more important than if I can connect with my maker. And there's nothing more important than if I could connect with my creator. But if there's something getting in the, in the way, idols have got to go. Idols will only get in the way. The small idols will steal our time. The big idols will do more, and they'll steal our passion. Yeah. Dreams and plans will get in the way. Sometimes, if we'll let them, they'll steal our passion. And instead of God being our top pursuit, he becomes a high pursuit. But also, I have this as well. And what happens if they conflict? Oh, well, God probably didn't say that. I. Why, I mean, why would he have me give this up? I, I don't need to give it up. I'll show you how smart I am. A few years ago, for, well, for much of my life, there was, a, there was a point where I had this dream of starting a, a big entertainment company. I was a, I was a big fan of uh, watching a big fan of Marvel and DC. and all those things. I really wanted to start my own entertainment company. And I really, I, I love writing, uh, writing those stories. And at one point at an altar call, I started, to feel, I started to feel the call to give that up. And so my first response was, oh, that's not God. Because why would God have me give that up? That doesn't make any sense. I could do so much good in that realm. We could get a lot of really good messages and really good morals and media and, and you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of change that I could make there if I would, if I would go down that path. So I, why would God want me to give that up? And that's when conviction hit that if it was God calling, why was there so much argument? Why was there so much struggle to give it up? Because the passion for the things of God had started, to be, had started to be mitigated. They started to be lessened because the passion of, of other things, of other pursuits, started to kind of get in the way. It wasn't really, it was, I'm really excited to be able to do this, and then, oh, God's, God's in the picture, kind of somewhere over there in my vision of the future. He's, he's there. But he's not like the center stage, you know. It's like that. It's like that house. It's the. It's the. It's the car in the front in the in the driveway. Like that's that's kind of like the, the the vision I'm I'm pursuing. And God's in the picture, of course. But but when does God get to the center of the picture? Because if God's only in the picture somewhere, you're you find that you might get to that point of your vision, and then God's not going to be there at all small idols will steal our time. The big idols will steal our passion. They'll get in the way of our walk with God. Are we willing to get to the point where we draw boundaries? We set up a standard and say, I'm not going there. I'm going to cut this off. Maybe I'll be able to go back to it one day. Maybe I won't. But it really doesn't matter because my my highest pursuit is the pursuit after God. We have to be willing in every step of our life. As we pray about it, we say, oh, Lord, make me more consecrated to you. Lord, help me to seek after you. i I let everything about my life reflect you. Okay, now let's put that into practice. What do we have to do to get there? What do we have to do to get there? Because God's promise is that if you go to the promised land, you take arms to take the promised land, you will overcome and you will be victorious. But you've got to be willing to take up the fight. Paul continues. He says, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and 23,000. Paul, earlier in the same letter, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body. But he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Greek word there for fornication, it it means sexual immorality. It's that same root word that that we get for pornography nowadays. If you find yourself tempted Flee, flee from it. Remove yourself from the temptation. If it gets to the point where your phone, is a temp, it, your phone is a temptation at night, then maybe I've got to set parental controls, so I can't do anything on my phone at night. If it gets to the point where we're so stuck in sin, there's, there's something, about, something about fornication that will destroy your walk with God more than anything else. There's just something, something about it. Proverbs 27:17, though, says, "Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend." There is a power in having accountability, and having godly counsel, and having someone that you can walk with in, in every aspect of your life. In examining our relationships, we ought to look and see what kind of conversations am I comfortable having with the, with this person. Is this person helping me to grow in my walk with God? Would I be comfortable telling them, hey, I'm struggling with this? Can you pray for me? If not, then we need to re-examine the relationship, and maybe something's gotta change. But we ought to get, we ought to have godly counsel in our lives. Whether it's in our friends or in our siblings or in our parents or in our godly leadership, we ought to have godly counsel that is not just there on the stage. That is not just that that is not just preaching out into the wind. But we ought to have godly counsel in the, in, in the innermost of our lives, someone who's close to us, someone who we know is going to walk with us, someone who's there and going to, is going to be praying for me specifically, who's gonna, who knows what my struggle is and is helping me to walk with it. And Acts chapter 12, we see the story of two people who were taken to prison. James was taken he was whenever he was found out by Herod. Herod immediately had him executed. He had him executed uh, to to try to please uh, try to please his, his those political people. He was trying to please. James was found out by Herod and he was executed. But then in the same chapter, Peter is also found out, and Peter is also captured, and Peter instead has angels that lead him out of the prison, and he ends up being delivered from what would have been his execution, what would have been his death. And what is the only difference that the Bible says between those two stories? The only difference is that when in between Peter's captivity and his deliverance, it said there was a church that found out and prayed that the church made prayer and intercession for Peter. And as they prayed, that was the difference. That was the difference maker and whether they found themselves executed by Herod or they found themselves walking out in victory. Yeah. So don't say that there's, no, that there's no real benefit to having godly friends. That there's no benefit to having those who won't provoke me to do good things, who won't pray for me, who won't be in my corner. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to win this fight by yourself. At the end of the day, you're not going to be able to walk, walk this walk by yourself. Because if you fall, who's going to be there to pick you up? You've got to have somebody that's w- that's willing to walk with you. You got to have someone in your corner who's praying for you. You got to, there's got to be somebody who you're you're willing to be comfortable with and say, "Hey, can you pray for me? Hey, I need prayer right now. I'm struggling with this. Walk with me. Help me. What you got a word for me? What is it?" There's a, there's something about having godly counsel in your corner that provides a covering over you that will help you to overcome. Even whenever, the, even whenever your own flesh seems to go, come against you. might be that there's a reason that the writer of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It might be that there's a reason that over and over and over, the emphasis is made on the church, the body. That emphasis is made even throughout Proverbs and throughout Psalms. You've got to have godly counsel. Wise counsel will lead you to life. Or ought to be someone that we can, someone that comes to mind that we can, we, can, we can shoot a text to and say, hey, can we talk about something? And then actually talk about it and actually pray about it. There are certain things that we just can't be willing to let get in the way of our walk with God, and there are so many things that we'll be able to avoid, so many struggles that we can overcome so much easier whenever we've got somebody in our corner fighting with us. You fight, if, you, if you fight against an army and you fight by yourself, I can't imagine you're gonna have a lot of success but whenever you've got whenever you've got soldiers who are lined up next to you and they've all got the same goal and you're and you've all determined that you're going to fight together we can see it, we even see this principle even at, even in the world Under, hundreds of years ago there there was a force of only 300 300 Spartans or so who were defending a pass And they were up against a force of anywhere in between 125 to 250,000. You tell me the odds aren't good. But because of the because of the fight that those 300 put up in that one battle, the entire war, the the entire scales of the war were tipped in favor of their side because they were willing to fight together. There's a power and accountability and wise counsel. And we ought to be able to examine ourselves and say, what do I provoke my friends to do? What kind of relationship do I have with my friends? Whenever, they, whenever, whenever we hang out, we have fun and that's good. And at the end of the day, though, are they going to feel convicted if they do something in front of me that we know doesn't please God? Or am I going to go along with it? Am I going to try to help them and correct them to life? Or am I just going to kind of laugh my way to death? What kind of influence do you wield? What do people take away from interacting with you? Paul continues, 1 Corinthians ten nine. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also t- uh, tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Tempting, tempting Christ can also be a lust of the flesh. Paul talked in Romans 7 how the nature of the flesh is to serve the law of sin. And sometimes we think we can pull one over on God and have the right to demand something from God. The Israelites in the wilderness over and over, they had seen God work great miracles. They'd seen the power of God in their lives. They had, They had a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud leading them by day and night. But rather than trusting in God, they began to rail against God. They began to get a little bit bitter against God. Because whenever a struggle came, they they didn't really have a lot of of root in themselves. And so, whenever the struggle came, they would get upset. And they would say, okay, well, God's just going to leave us here in the wilderness. Here we go again. But there's no root here because they they didn't really seek a relationship. They sought the benefit. They were only focused on the benefits of living for God and not any of the relationship with God. But God is willing to work the miraculous just so that way he can earn relationship because our God is a God of intimacy and he wants nothing more than to be able to enter into a relationship with you. But the Israelites, they became bitter. Rather than learning to trust God, they doubted him. And Psalm 78 tells us they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lust. We should not be seeking God just to fulfill our own lust or our own desire. But we submit to him with the humble prayer of not my will but thy will be done. We're seeking after, seeking after God so that way we can get into relationship and not just get what I want out of this. But I'm seeking, how can I serve you in this? If we're only following after God because we're th- we think that it's going to be a, a, just a field of flowers in our whole, in our whole walk, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But God wants relationship. Paul continues, says, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. We got to be careful of the conversation that we have in secret and what we gossip about. If the conversation isn't going to benefit someone, if it's not for their health or for their good, or if it only serves to hurt their image, then don't, don't respond to it. And really, at best, rebuke it. Even in workplace cultures, there's a, there's a focus, in, in strong workplace cultures, there's a focus from management that if you start to hear, we, and we, we have this at our, our store at Chick-fil-A, if someone else is starting to slander someone else, then you don't go along with it. Instead, it has to turn into, okay, what do you think would be the best way to help the person? What, do you, what can we do that would be able to help them to overcome this? but the conversation has to take a turn towards the benefit of that person and not towards the hurt. Not just to, oh, I'm just here to rant and get out some anger and destroy their image and my own in the process. But what works to the good? What works to their benefit? Do not neglect prayer, but don't forget the practice either. We have to crucify the flesh and that takes work. But when God is preparing your church for great revival, and he is, there will be those who look to you as examples as they start to come in from all walks of life. And what will they see whenever they look to you? What will they, what will they feel whenever they interact with you? What will they be provoked to do when they interact with you? James, James tells us in the first chapter, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And he goes on to give the example, if any man among you seems to be righteous and bridles not his tongue, he doesn't control his tongue, but, de- he, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. We have, to, we have to control what we say. And the principle that we see all throughout James is that whenever we have faith, Whenever we pray, there's an action that has to follow. You can stand with me. I'm closing. There is an action that had to follow. And if he did not follow his action, he deceived his own heart. He lied to himself. I don't want to get to the point where I'm just kind of in this thing for the social connection and I'm just just living, just living in church, but I'm not really a part of the church. I'm living near God, but I'm not talking with God. I never want to get to that point where I'm lying to myself. If I believe it, then I'm going to do it. If I believe it, then I'm going to act on it. If I believe it, then I'm going to, there's got to be some sort of evidence of my belief. James said, I'll show you the evidence of of my faith by my works, by what I do. If I believe it, I'm going to seek how I can apply it. If I believe it, then I'm going to seek how I can do it. C.S. Lewis made one, one quote about how one does not know the force of the wind until he tries to walk against it. One doesn't know the strength of the German army until he tries to fight it. And in the same way, you do not know the evil within or the strength of it until you have tried to resist it. Because the enemy is more content than anything else to just let you say all day that I want to crucify my flesh, that I want to follow after Jesus. He's totally okay with you saying that. But where the problem that he takes up, the problem he has is whenever you start to act on it whenever that seed starts to grow and it starts to take root, whenever there starts to be a, an emphasis on the, oh, I'm not just saying this thing, I'm walking this thing. Oh, and you're going to walk with me, so we're going to walk together. And if I fall, you help me up, and if you fall, I'm going to help you up. But I'm, I'm not going to walk, and I'm not going to walk and not and turn out to the left hand or the right hand, whatever, whatever distracts me. But I'm going to I'm going to get intentional about the doing. If you'll join me here at the front, we ought to be in prayer. And we ought to start at a point of prayer. We ought to be continually praying. Luke 18 gives us the parable of how we're to pray always. And 1 Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing. We have to be intentional about prayer day in and day out. Because you can't have a relationship with somebody and not talk to them. So if I'm going to keep my focus on the things of God, I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to set it in my heart that I'm going to consecrate some things day in and day out. I'm going to have to die daily, but at the end of the day, as my flesh dies, we get to life. We've got to get to the point where we pray and we don't neglect the prayer and we don't neglect the doing as well because they're both important and you and you really, one is not effective without the other. As we try to walk in the Spirit, we find ways that we can deny the lust of the flesh. So as we begin to pray, start to examine ourselves and say, what's those areas of my life, Lord? What are those areas of my life that start to to get in the way, that get in the way of my walk with you? Lord, I'm seeking after you, and I really do mean what I say. I mean that I want to seek after you. I want this relationship with you. I want to be in it with you. But God, shine a a light on every corner of my life. Expose the things that are getting in the way. Lord, help me to make room in my heart so that way I'm not just seeing you on a stage, but I'm seeing you whenever I walk out this building that I'm seeing you in my own personal walk with God, that I don't just get into your presence whenever I feel an altar call, but I get into your presence whenever I go home. Whenever I walk out and, there's, and temptation starts to come, I realize it's not even much of a struggle anymore, but because I've begun to walk with you. As I walk with you, I realize that there's power to overcome. As I walk with you, I realize that, Jesus, there's nothing better than, be able, than being able to say that I am a friend of God. So with every hand raised and every eye closed, just begin to make that prayer to God right now.